I turn your attention to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 1. Isaiah chapter 5, reading a couple of verses there at the beginning of chapter 5, and then looking over in chapter 58 of the same book. Let's begin our reading in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 1. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. Looking over in Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 11, I just want to read this one verse in your hearing. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. I'd like to speak this morning on this last Sunday of 2018 as we look to the new year with new beginnings and fresh starts. I'd like to speak on this subject, the vineyard. You say that with me today? The vineyard. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We read verses from the beginning of Isaiah chapter 5 that spoke of vineyard and of course we we see this throughout the Word of God. And then over in Isaiah 58, we read about how he will make us like a watered garden. And in the Bible, many times the word garden is used interchangeably with the word vineyard. We think in our world of a garden as a place of beautiful flowers and well-manicured lawns. But in Israel and in much of the Middle East, a garden is a vineyard. The Garden of Gethsemane was a vineyard. The garden tomb area where Jesus was buried is a vineyard. These gardens or these vineyards, they produced grapes and they produced figs and olives and oil and all kinds of spices. And throughout the Word of God... The word vineyard and even the word garden is used as a metaphor or an allegory to illustrate life. Well watered meant that you were blessed and you had your needs met. Producing fruit meant that you were productive and you were doing what God had designed you to do. And so out... So throughout the Word of God, there's all of these different illustrations of planting a vineyard, getting on with life. The Bible says that after the flood, Noah became a husbandman, which is a word that is used to describe a caretaker of a vineyard. He became a husbandman and planted a vineyard. He got on with life, life after the flood. 
Even the parable that Jesus taught of the husbandmen of the vineyard that paid different wages to his workers is a parable of life and, and work and how that not everything is fair in life. All throughout the word of God, you see that the vineyard is a type of journey. It is the journey of a mission, a journey of life. Isaiah had the same idea when in the parable of Jehovah's vineyard, he writes, my well-beloved, referring to his God, had a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and he cleared out its stones and and he planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. You see, my friend, three times in the history of the world, God has made a vineyard for himself. And when he made this vineyard, he had an expectation of receiving fruit for his glory. The first, of course, we know was the vineyard or the garden of Eden. It was a human paradise. Man was put in the garden of Eden with a mandate. The mandate was to tend and keep it. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15 declares that was the mandate of humanity. Tend and keep it. But we all know the story of the failure of humanity to produce the fruit that God expected through disobedience. Sin not only affected every area of Adam and Eve's life and their family, but it also was a curse to the whole human race. So then came this second vineyard that our God established. It was a vineyard of the Hebrew people. And Isaiah tells us about that vineyard in our text. God did everything to ensure that this vineyard would produce the best of fruit for his honor. For his glory, but instead it brought forth wild grapes. The third is the vineyard of the church. Jesus himself came to earth to plant this garden and declare, I am the vine, and my father is the husbandman or the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. John 15, 1 and 2. It was the ministry of Jesus to establish a vineyard that would be the church of the living God. Becomes clear in the word that your vineyard can be productive and fruitful or it can be neglected and full of stones and wild grapes this vineyard that the Lord is planting is just a microcosm of all of us as we plant our individual vineyards called life as we approach a new year I believe there is some biblical guidance on how to have a well-watered garden how to have a productive life how to live this life the way God intended for it to be lived a beautiful life a wonderful life what God intends for every one of us is not just a movie 
that we watch at Christmas time. An old Jimmy Stewart movie about a wonderful life. As much as I love that movie and I watched it again on Christmas Day with my wife and with my family because my wife declared to me she had never seen this movie before. I was horrified. <laughs> Be nice if they had movies like that nowadays. But it has a good plot. It has a good purpose. It has a good meaning. He prays and, and the community comes together and they save the little bank and all. They go through the war and the depression and, the, and all the different things. But there's more to life than just it's a wonderful life. There's more to life than just community. And though we are thankful for all of these things, there is a divine intervention to this vineyard that we are all planting. Something that gives us a well-watered garden. Something that comes from the innermost man. New Testament tries to describe the Spirit of God as being living waters that flow from our innermost being. What is it that gives this garden, this artesian well of His blessings and His favor? Well, once again, we have to look to the Word of God to get our guidance. We read in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 21, about a man by the name of Naboth that had a vineyard. And there was a wicked king by the name of Ahab who was married to a wicked woman by the name of Jezebel. Ahab had 70 children. Not all of them from Jezebel. But they were all wicked. And even more grandkids. And the whole bunch of them was crazy. And Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard because the Bible says, and I quote, it was hard by the palace. In other words, it was right next door to the palace. Right up against the palace grounds. Ahab wanted to expand. And so he said to Naboth, I want all of your land. I want your vineyard. Naboth's like, it's been in the family. I can't sell it. And Ahab went and had a little temper tantrum and felt sorry for himself and was crying and walking around and looked pitiful. And Jezebel said, what's the matter with you, Ahab? Like, I want Naboth's vineyard. He won't sell it to me. She said, well, you're the king. Just go and take it. So Jezebel kills or has Naboth killed, and they take the vineyard. Later on, when Jehu, another king that rose up, was killing off all the descendants of Ahab and was trying to get Israel back on the right track, he had these individuals taken literally to Naboth's field, which now had become part of the palace grounds. Naboth's vineyard, and he had him slain right there so that that vineyard would be filled with the blood of the descendants of Ahab. In other words, be careful what you wish for. It may cost you your life and your family and your descendants. Be careful not to plant your vineyard hard against the palace ground. Don't get caught up in this world with all the treasures and trying to live your life based upon the next buck. It may cost you your life if you build your vineyard hard up against the palace grounds. People that want to spend their whole life just chasing the dreams of this world. That's not how you have a successful vineyard. Over the holidays, I was reading about the life of 
George H.W. Bush. And I didn't realize he died, of course, as you know, a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months now. But I didn't realize that he was the longest married president in the history of our country. Did you know that he and his wife, Barbara, were married for 72 years? 72 years! I told this church in the early service, I said, you know, I don't know if George Herbert Walker Bush was baptized in Jesus' name or filled with the Holy Ghost. But there has to be something in eternity for a person who is married for 72 years to the same person. (laughs) On his 49th anniversary, he wrote his wife a letter. He loved to write letters. And he starts out the letter in his characteristically clumsy way. And he says, and I quote, will you marry me? Oops, I forgot you did that 49 years ago, today. You have given me joy that few men know. I have climbed perhaps the highest mountain in the world. No doubt referring to the presidency of the United States. But even that cannot hold a candle to being Barbara's husband. A man that could jump out of an airplane at 90 years old, more than 10,000 feet above this earth, but could only live a few months after his wife passed in April of this year. He lived in the palace, what we would describe as the White House, for four years, but in studying his life, it appears that he didn't build his vineyard there. Again, the Bible gives us clarity on how to plant this vineyard. If we don't plant the vineyard next to the palace, how and where do we plant this vineyard? What becomes the focal point of our lives? Exodus chapter 40, beginning in verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, shalt thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation and thou shalt put therein the ark of the testimony the house of God and the presence of God was not only the center of their world it's what came first on the first day of the first month before you plant your vineyard set up the tabernacle it's not only about placement it's about priority And the Bible seems to make a point of emphasis concerning first. Regardless of whether or not it's the firstborn or the first fruit or the first day or your first love. First matters in the Bible. And can I tell you, Jesus Christ wants to be in first place in your life. We ought not to give him the leftovers of our day or the leftovers of our emotions or the leftovers of our energy or the leftovers of our finances. We ought to give God the first fruit. In fact, it matters so much in the word that the the Bible records the word first 435 times in 406 verses. The firstborn male child received the birthright, which was the equivalent of the inheritance and the blessing. It wasn't by accident that there was a blessing that was associated with that that was first. There's still a blessing that is associated with that that is first. 
So we want to start the year right. Because if we can get the year started right, then the whole year is going to be blessed. If I can get my day started right, then my whole day is going to be blessed. If I can get my week started right, Sunday is the first day of the week. If I start out my week saying, I'm going to be in the house of the Lord, and I'm going to start out my week by glorifying God, He's going to bless Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. The scripture that we read in Exodus is interesting because the Lord tells the children of Israel, set up the tabernacle first. On the first day of the first month, set up the house of God. And no doubt I can see the Lord reasoning this. I know you guys are going to be busy when you break camp and you travel, then you've got to set up camp. And There's a lot of people and there's a lot of logistics and the family and the animals and everything that goes on. But what God was saying is that this is something beyond just symbolism. On the first day of the first month, set up the tabernacle. Get your priorities established before you even get into the month. Because if you'll take care of the house of God, I'll take care of your vineyard. If you'll take care of my house, I'll take care of your house. If you'll take care of what's important to me, I'm going to give you a garden that's well watered. So the question for each of us today is, is your vineyard hard against the palace or is it hard against the tabernacle? What comes first? What's most important? Once this priority is established, The vineyard must be maintained. It doesn't stop with just getting it planted in the right place. The vineyard does not become a well-watered garden on its own. It must be cultivated. The ground is quite stony in most of the Middle East, and these stones have to be cleared. There's a a world that we live in today that says, you know, I just want everything to be done for me. If God could just bless me while I'm sleeping. If I could just wake up and fall into my reward. In old times, it was not an uncommon thing to find a vineyard that had been either is suffering through some attack from the enemy or through willful neglect. And without a doubt, Solomon had this in mind as he surveys a promising piece of land that's littered with stones and debris. We read about it in Proverbs 24, verse 30. He says, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles and covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travail and thy want as an armed man you got this field but what are you doing with it and all of us today can admit that the presence of stones are in our life and what we understand and what we know is what do we do with these stones they will not move by themselves can't expect God to just bless us without any effort on our part. Slumber and the folding of the hands will not prepare the vineyard. Solomon tells us that a yard in this state belongs of necessity to the man devoid of understanding. Proverbs 24 and 30. 
So a life that's not fulfilling the purpose of God is the life of a person who has ceased to use their intelligence. There's nothing clever or commendable about young people or even older people who through recklessness and rash decisions have allowed their lives to go to pieces. God gave us minds to be cultivated through the word of God. It's working together with what God has given us and what God is trying to do in our lives. He said, I'll make it well watered, but you're going to have to gather the stones. You're going to have to make up in your mind. I'm going to get some spiritual disciplines in my life in 2019. I'm not going to just wander through life wondering what's happened to me. Why am I going through this? Has God forgotten my zip code? Why am I hurting? Why am I struggling? I've come to tell you, he's given you a vineyard. you got to get out there and gather the stones and cultivate it. Stir up the gift that is within you. If the placement of the vineyard represents our priorities, then the stones in the field represent our source of strength. Ladies and gentlemen, we either stumble at the word of God or it becomes our greatest ally. It all depends on whether or not we submit ourselves to it. If you don't submit yourself to this book, you're going to keep stumbling over it your entire life. You'll stumble over it. Your vineyard will struggle because you have not submitted yourself to the Word of God. But once you submit yourself to the Word of God, you have taken that stone out of the field and you're building a wall. You're building a tower. It's something that's going to protect you and defend you and give you understanding and wisdom and strength and guidance. It is the will of God. In the parable of Jehovah's Vineyard, the prophet is made to say, My well-beloved, referring to God, has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up. Even though it was a fruitful hill, he didn't just leave it. He dug it up. He cleared out its stones. He planted with it the choicest vine. He built a tower. He also made a wine press. He expected it to bring forth good grapes. But it brought forth wild grapes. Jesus referred to this parable during his teaching, even in his ministry on this earth, because both Matthew, Mark, and even Luke gives examples of this parable as he taught. And it is in detail, and it is almost identical, virtually virtually identical to what Isaiah prophesied about in the Old Testament. So we know that there's an agreement between the Old and the New Testament, between the prophet Isaiah and even through the teaching and the ministry of Jesus. That in order to plant a successful vineyard, in order to have this wonderful life that we are all striving for, the husbandman, you and I, the keeper of the vineyard, must gather these stones in this field for a threefold purpose. Number one, The stones must be gathered for the wall of protection. You've got to have a wall of protection. It says, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof. 
One of the first things you had to do when you were going to plant a vineyard was you had to gather all the stones that were in the field and you had to use those stones to to build a wall or to build a fence around your land. We are told that this stone wall of protection was usually surrounded by a fence or a hedge or shrubs and and it was kind of of a windbreaker to protect you against the storms that threatened the young vines. I saw this firsthand. This is what the farms and the vineyards around Normandy, France had. And what became a living nightmare for our troops in World War II as we invaded Normandy to get a foothold in Europe. While American farms and yards are split by fences, the farms in Normandy were split by ancient hedgerows. 3,900 hedgerows in eight square miles. It was a defender's paradise as the Germans uh, dug in. But it was an attacker's nightmare. And we lost more soldiers in the battle of the hedgerows in Normandy than we did on the beaches. Why? Because these hedgerows are hard even for tanks. Ancient hedgerows, walls. That were built around all of these different farms and vineyards. We would try to get our troops in there. And finally, some engineer from up north figured out a way to put these barbs on the front of a tank where it could clear the vines and could clear through the mounds and all as it tried to work its way up and down through these hedgerows. But ladies and gentlemen, what is true in the natural is also true in the spiritual. When you build a wall of protection... It's hard for the enemy to penetrate. I said it's hard for the enemy to penetrate. When you say we're going to have some walls, I'm going to build some walls around my eyes. I'm going to build some walls around my heart. I'm going to build some walls around my emotions. I'm going to protect the young vines. I'm going to tell you what, if you've just come to know the Lord in the last few years, I've come to tell you, you've got some young vines and you better protect it. And there's nothing that's going to protect it like building up a wall of the word of God in your life. Solomon said, whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. Thank God for the teaching of his word and the leading of his spirit, which enables us to protect our lives from the attacks of this world, the flesh and the devil and the world and all of the things that are around us. Oftentimes it's our own flesh that causes the most destruction. And I have to tell you today, as much as I love each and every one of you, I offer no hope whatsoever to anyone who imagines that he can survive the forces of evil in our day and our generation without the divinely built wall of protection. We cannot study the Bible without observing that God has placed sanctions upon our personal, social, and national life. And when we neglect the authority of God's Word and the sufficiency of God's Spirit, the serpent bites. Satan attacks. Outside of the protection of Jesus Christ, I've come to tell you unequivocally today, you have no hope whatsoever. You better build up a wall. You better say, I'm going to have a wall and I'm going to trust in the Lord. It doesn't matter what may come or go. I've got a wall of His Word that I get strength and protection in. There's a lot of hurt and heartache in this life. 
after the bitter disappointment of losing his three-year-old daughter Robin to leukemia. George H.W. Bush wrote a letter to his mother in 1958. And I quote, There is about our house a need. The running, pulsating restlessness of the four boys as they struggle to learn and grow, the world embraces them, yet all this wonder needs a counterpart. We need a girl. We need someone who's afraid of frogs. We need a little one who can kiss without leaving egg or jam on your face. Someone to cry when I get upset. We need a legitimate Christmas angel. We had one once. She'd fight and cry and play and make her way just like the rest, but there was a certain softness about her. She was patient. Her hugs were a little less wiggly. Like the boys, she would climb in to sleep with me, but somehow she fit. Her peace made me feel strong and so very important. Her words, my daddy, had a caress to them, a certain ownership which touched a slightly different spot than the words, hi dad, that I get from my sons that I love so much. We need her and yet we have her. We can't touch her and yet we can feel her. God has been our strength and through his love she is still with us. We pray that she will stay in our house for a very long time. Ladies and gentlemen, you better build a wall around your vineyard. You better build a wall made out of stone that's called faith and prayer and his word. A wall to protect you from hurt and heartache because no one gets through this life without hurt. Where do we get our strength from? It's not from our own abilities. It's not from our own intellect. It's from a God that reaches down and wraps his arms of love around us. Because years ago, you pulled stone out of a field and you built a wall. Would you lift your hands? I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Thank you for this wall, Lord. Thank you for the strength of your guiding hand. Thank you for your spirit that comes to us in a time of crisis. Thank you for every prayer that's been prayed. Ladies and gentlemen, every time you've prayed, you've built up a wall. Oh yeah, the angel said it was like Cornelius. You've been building a memorial. Every time you pray, you may not have understood it all. Every time you gave, you may not have understood it all. But you built up a memorial. And it's going up before God. There is a wall. There is a strength. There is a covering. Secondly, the stones must be gathered to build a watchtower of perception. Isaiah 5.2 says, Clear down its stones and build a tower in its midst. Every vineyard had a watchtower in order to spot unwelcome intruders. One or more towers were built in the vineyard. From these lookout points, vigilant eyes were ever surveying the landscape. What a message this has for you and for me. Jesus told his disciples that they were to watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watching sights the enemy.
Whereas praying fights the enemy. Got to see it to fight it. Watchtower gives you perception. So that you know the difference between right and wrong. Definition of insanity in our criminal courts is that there is no understanding of the difference between right and wrong. The definition of spiritual insanity is when we don't know the difference between right and wrong. But a tower gives you a perception of what's right and what's not right. By the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the instruction of the Holy Word of God, the Christian is given a kind of spiritual radar which senses the approaching evil. This is the value of the watchtower. Without it, the vineyard can be ruined. But if you're in the watchtower, you can see what others cannot see. I see that hanging out with that person is going to be a problem because I've been in the watchtower. I see that going to that place is going to be a problem because I've been in the watchtower. I know that there's some things I've got to avoid and other things I've got to embrace so that the vineyard is cultivated so that my life is a well-watered garden you're not here just marking time you're not here from paycheck to paycheck you were created in the image of God for the divine purpose to praise him I hurry in the song of Solomon there's a solemn word concerning the spoilers of the vineyard of our lives the language is put in the form of a prayer it says and I quote catch us the foxes the little foxes that spoil the vines for our vines have tender grapes song of Solomon 2.15 very often these little foxes find a crack in the wall And unless spotted, they can enter the vineyard under the cover of darkness, nibble away at the tender vines. Such destructiveness quickly spoils the promise of the harvest. Promise of fruit. This is why the watchtower is so important. You and I know that it is not so much the big sins that ruin our lives but rather those subtle little foxes that slip in through unguarded defenses to spoil the tender grapes. The little foxes are not the only cause of intrusion and destruction. The passage in Proverbs is explicit. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. The latter part of this verse is better rendered. And poverty come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. God knows how many armed robbers constantly seek to destroy the vineyard of our lives. How important is it then, ladies and gentlemen, to gather up the stones for the building of the watchtower of perception? Thank God the Bible tells us that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. 
not only in military, not only in gardening, but also in life, in spiritual ways. It's those that have the high ground that are going to be victorious. That's why whenever a nation like Israel would return back to God, they would go and destroy all the groves and all the idols to false gods that were on the high ground. And they would take the high ground and they would establish it as a place for their temple. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to take the high ground spiritually. you got to say, God, give me perception. Understanding and wisdom that only comes by God's word and God's spirit. So many times we struggle in life because we're down on the ground trying to observe. You can't see what's coming at you. You ever watched a football game and thought, why doesn't the quarterback throw it to that receiver? He's wide open. You are watching the game from the sky. The quarterback has got a giant in front of him that has a mission to take his head off. And you say, what's the matter with you? You get paid millions of dollars a year and the guy is on the 20-yard line wide open. You can see it because you're looking at it from above. Oh, my friend, if you can get a watchtower, you can build, you can see, you can observe when the foxes try to come in, when the enemy tries to come in, pick off your child with drugs or pick off your marriage with immorality, pick off your mind with pornography. If you've got a watchtower that's in the vineyard, you can see it from a ways off. You can know it's a trick. You can know it's the enemy. You can't avoid the little foxes. You can win the little battles. You can win the war. Finally, the stones must be gathered for the wine press of production. My well-beloved cleared out its stones and made a wine press in it so he expected it to bring forth good grapes. This is where the grapes were crushed and this is where production of the vine to the fruit was accomplished. The wine press speaks of the pressures and measures that the Lord exerts upon us in order that the fruit of the Spirit might be seen in us and through us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control you weren't born with it but life is crushed and crushed and crushed and crushed you may be down but you're not out it's just the fruit is coming out there's something beautiful that's being produced it's gonna come out of the press and there may have been circumstances and trials and trouble that you didn't understand you didn't realize it was just the wine press that was developing the fruit of the spirit in your life I submit to you today that anything less is wasted living.
wall, the tower, the press. The master comes to you and me today and says, show me your vineyard. Show me your fruit. Show me your faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. But fragrance is coming out of your life. Your choices, your decisions, your testimony. What is it emitting into the atmosphere? The early church, the followers of Jesus were conspicuous by their boldness, likeness to the Christ that they loved and served. It is recorded that when the rulers and elders and scribes saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, but they marveled. They marveled because they realized that they had been with Jesus. There was an unmistakable Christ-like fragrance which exuded from the garden of their lives. They've been with Jesus. What do people smell coming out of your vineyard when they walk by? Is it old sour grapes? Is it a wasteland of broken promises and hopes and dreams? Or is there something being cultivated? Is there some grapes that are in production? Is there something that's coming out of that garden that says, Christ is still on the king. Yes, I've had a tough year, but I got a God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And 2019, this vineyard is going to produce fruit. This vineyard is going to have a wall. This vineyard is going to have a tower. This vineyard will bring forth wells of living water. Oh, would you stand to your feet and would you throw your heads in the air and would you shout unto God? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, I feel it. I smell it. Come on, there's a fragrance that comes from your prayers. It's a sweet smelling savor under God. Come on, church. He inhabits the praises of his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. I'm not going to just wait for God to come by and ring my doorbell. I'm going to get up out of this house. I'm going to get out in the streets. I'm going to touch the hem of this garment. I've got to get a hold of him. Chico Tarabosi. 
Here's what I feel on the Holy Ghost today. Just a couple of days, it's going to be 2019. This year has been a great year, but it's also been a difficult year for many people. This week in between Christmas and New Year's is always a time of reflection. But it's also a time of resolution. I'm not going to let my past define my future. I'm going to start from this day. I'm going to go forward. This word as my guide. I commit to pray more. I commit to study more. I commit to teach more. I commit to share my testimony more. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, you got a vineyard. God wants to know what's it producing. Are you producing grapes or wild grapes? What's coming out of your life? Here's what I feel we ought to do today. If you will commit to gather the stones that's in that field, your field, your field of labor, your life, your vineyard, and say, I'm going to build a wall, I'm going to build a tower, I'm going to build a press. If you would commit to do that in year 2019, I'd ask that you would step out from where you're standing and you'd come down to the front. Press down as close as you can. You can't get all the way to the front, just gather in the aisles. But I want us to come together as a body of believers today. Bishop Myers talked about it. I feel an expectancy in the spirit. Jesus is coming back. I said, Jesus is coming back. This is no time to plant your vineyard hard up against the palace. This is a time to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things shall be added. What things? All those things that we want in our vineyard. Happiness, love, contentment, peace, purpose, fulfillment. God will seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything else will be added unto me I want us to pray together right now as a church as a body of believers I'm asking God to protect us as a corporate body that there would be a wall about us that there would be a watchtower but that we would also produce what God has called us to do through the press the pain and the suffering and the disappointments the fruit of the Spirit could be born in our lives. But it is up to each and every one of us what our own individual vineyard is going to look like. I want us to pray together right now. And if you'll commit to build a tower and a wall and a press in your own lives, I wonder if you'd lift your hands and your voices right now. Would you make this commitment? Before the calendar says January 1, I'm making a commitment right now. I'm not going to just walk through life. I'm not going to embrace some sort of a victim mentality. You've given me choices, Lord. You've given me opportunities. I don't understand everything, but I know that you're going to give me strength. So I declare this morning, Lord, in your presence, in your house, under the banner of your name, I lift my voice and my spirit. 
and I declare, Lord, you can count on me. I'm going to be a vessel of honor. I'm going to be an instrument of praise. I'm going to glorify you, God, with whatever limited gifts or abilities you have put in my life. Let it emit the fragrance of your love in your presence. That's it, church. Lift your voice unto God. Let it be a cry of solidarity. Together. Together. In the name of Jesus. Yes, in the name of Jesus. Jesus. I surrender all to you. Yes, Lord, in the name of Jesus.
is a there is a perfume if I can use that word there is a perfume of praise that is released into the atmosphere when God's people gather together in one voice and one mind and one accord the book of Acts described it as a Russian mighty wind there's so many different illustrations but there's something powerful that takes place in the spirit we commit to build a wall and a tower we commit to allow the press to produce the fruit of the spirit in our lives but all of that's going to take time we're just making up our mind right here today and we're making a commitment to God that 2019 will be a year that we put him first that our vineyard is hard against the tabernacle but today before we leave I believe with all of my heart that we can leave here with a fragrance of God's presence that is a precursor to the fruit that's going to be born in these vineyards in these lives and I believe that as we dismiss this morning, if we will give him corporate praise, everybody praising him, literally you will be able to smell in the spirit the anticipation of the glory and the power and the presence of God. And when you leave this building, you go out on the street and you get in your car and you go to the restaurant, people look at you and recognize there's something different about him or her. They've had church. They've been in the presence of God. I wonder one more time, would you lift your voice like a trumpet? And would you shout unto God with the voice of triumph?